So we've been in a series for the past couple of weeks where we have been trying to find out how to become fearless, or if not fearless, at least fear a little less, and to get ourselves to the place where we put more of our trust in God and his power and less of our trust in the circumstances around us. When I was a kid, I was kind of afraid of the dark. Not really, but I had a challenging experience that I had every single night, and it was that my light switch for my bedroom was by the door but my bed was not by the door. And so if order, in order to turn the lights off, I had to get the lights off and then be in the dark, not in my bed, while I was going over to my bed. Because listen, there was a point in time when I was too old to have my parents tuck me in every night, and so they just didn't. And so this was my technique. I, I learned it from Garfield. And uh, Garfield, at one point in time, in one of his comic strips, he flipped the light switch, and then he got in bed, and then the lights went off. And then you could see Garfield's thoughts where he said, faster than the speed of dark. And so when I was a kid, I wanted to be faster than the speed of dark. But this is the technique. Because I'm not actually faster than the speed of dark, I couldn't flip the switch and then jump into bed. I had to do the switch while I was running. And so it would work like this. The door was here, and I would lean way back. I'm off frame from the camera. It's fine. It's, it's, it's supposed to be this way. And so I'm leaning way back, and then I would run, hit the switch, and fly through the air onto my waterbed. And it would make this amazing sloshing sound. It was so cool. And every night I worried if it would just explode, and it would have been a massive problem. But it was contained in a wood frame, and I, I thought it was, I thought it was going to be fine. But I would hit the switch as I was running, fly out into the middle of nowhere, and land in my bed. And I got really good at it. But eventually I realized, I don't need to do that. And as I got older, I developed a new habit. And the new habit was to turn off the light switch and slowly walk with my eyes closed even to emphasize the dark slowly just walk right over to my bed and get in it. (laughs) And so I I learned this fact that I could do this without ever touching anything. I didn't have to do the arm waving around thing. I could just turn off the lights and walk over to it and just get in it slowly, even with my eyes closed. And do you know why? Because it was my room. Because it was my room. There was no reason to be afraid. Every single thing in this room was my room. Every single thing. The bed was my bed. The Winnie the Pooh was my Winnie the Pooh. I shouldn't have said that. And everything, everything in the room was mine. And so when I hit that light, it was still mine. There was nothing in there that was against me. It was mine. And even the closet, whatever monsters were in the closet, they were my monsters. And so as a result, I would just turn off the light and calmly walk through, and my fear of the dark was gone because I was surrounded by mine. We're going to be looking at a passage today that all boils down to if you're in the place where you're supposed to be, you don't really have anything to be afraid of. If you're in the place that you already own, you don't really have anything to be afraid of. We've been following the people of Israel as they're entering into their promised land, as they're entering into the place where God had promised their home would be from this day forward. He said, I'm giving you this land. And as they're entering in this land, they had a lot of fear, but God took them on a training path to overcome their 
their fear. If you look on the note sheet and if you look on your live event, you can see our review from the past couple of weeks, some of the lessons that we've learned. We've uh, covered four of these lessons so far, but last week, the key lesson from last week is that you're supposed to jump into what God has for you. But before we go any farther, I want to read to you the key verse from this entire series. It's Joshua 1.9. We're going to put it up on the screen here. And in Joshua 1.9, it says, that's the wrong one. In Joshua 1.9, God says to Joshua, uh, be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. I am with you even as I was with Moses. I will be with you. But there's another verse, and apparently it's not going to be on the screen. There's another verse, Joshua 1.3, that is just as important for our series and just as important for Joshua's life. God says to Joshua, I will give you every place your foot sets. In other words, as you walk through this land, it's all yours. Like me in the darkness in my bedroom. There's nothing to be afraid. It's all mine. Joshua, God says, wherever you put your foot, it's yours. The priests put their foot into the Jordan River. It parts for them. They walk around Jericho. The walls fall for them. They step into the battle to protect the Gibeonites, and the sun decides it's going to wait till Joshua is ready. And so all of this time that they've been going through this journey into the promised land, it has been time and time again God has proven where your foot steps is already yours. I'm giving it to you. And so now our challenge is to try to realize how to finish it all up. Because see, once Joshua takes his final leap into that day when he prays the prayer, sun stands still and God shows up, at that moment when God shows up in a miraculous fashion for you, you don't have any reason to believe he won't show up again. And so the rest of the book doesn't tell us any more battles. There aren't any other real battles that show up in the rest of the book. In fact, all of the fighting is done by around chapter 12. When you get to the end chapters, all of the rest of it is boilerplate. It's like legalese type stuff. It's Joshua saying, okay, this tribe gets this land, and this tribe gets this land, and this tribe gets this land. And so you read it, and it can take you a while to get through it because it's just one long list of a whole bunch of city names. And I didn't think you wanted to hear me read a whole bunch of city names today, just all in a string. And so we're not reading all of these verses but I'm going to take you to a couple places over the next couple of weeks where two really important things happen. And these two really important things are how we jump into God's promise. More specifically, how we claim God's promise for us. Now, there are a lot of pastors in a lot of churches that will say things to you like, you need to identify what you want in this world, you need to declare it before God, you need to claim that the promise is yours, and then you walk in that promise, you walk in that claim. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you get to make up your own promise and then claim it and then walk in it. I'm saying you get the freedom to hear what God's promise is to you. And no matter how bold his promise is to you, then you claim it and you walk in it. And so what I want to do is I want to take you into this by first taking you to a guy named Caleb. We've been in a book named Joshua, but a lot of people forget that Joshua had a friend named Caleb. Let me remind you of who Caleb was. I'm going to put some verses up on the screen this time. It'll work. uh, That are going to remind you of who Caleb was. We're going all the way back into the book of Numbers. So let's take a look at this. It says, the spies came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. 
But, they continue, the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Pause there for just a moment. Have you ever heard the story of David and Goliath? Goliath is a nine-foot-tall dude, you know? And uh, you need to know that Goliath was a descendant of Anak. Anak was the name of the guy who was like the, um, the patriarch of the entire family of giants. And so all of the quote-unquote descendants of Anak, whether they were biological descendants of this one guy or just metaphorical descendants of this one guy, they were all huge. And so Goliath being a nine-foot-tall guy was not an anomaly back then. All of these guys were, were really, really big. It's like, you know, actually trying to fight against a whole bunch of NBA and football kind of players and, you know, just big dudes. Anyway, so they say, we even saw the descendants of Anak there. In other words, we saw giants. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. And then Joshua and Caleb together give this speech to the people. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only one thing to remember. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Well, they don't go into the land and God gets mad at them. And so then we read what God does as a response. It says, the Lord's anger was aroused that day and he swore this oath because they've not followed me wholeheartedly. Not one of those who are 20 years old or more when they came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then God says this amazing thing, not one except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. The Lord's anger burned against Israel and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until the whole generation of those who had done evil in his sight was gone. Not one except Caleb and Joshua. Now we're in the book of Joshua and we've been following Joshua for a while, but we haven't done anything with Caleb yet until today. Before we get to Caleb, look at one more verse about Joshua. Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, uh, flip to it. Otherwise, it should show up in the app. Joshua 13, verse 1. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, you are now very old, and there's still very large areas of land to be taken over. The reason I'm stopping there at this one verse is just to highlight something that I find to be amazing. This verse shows up after a whole lot of fighting, after a whole lot of battles. And Joshua has brought the people of Israel into this land. And God says to Joshua, Joshua, you're an old man now. Joshua, I think what we need to do because you're an old man is I think we need to finish this job. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, oftentimes when you do the same thing over and over for a long period of time, you get tired of it. 
Even if you're winning or losing, whether you're facing success or failure, do the same thing long enough and eventually you'll kind of start getting tired of it. You you might want to do it in a different way or do a totally different thing. And I imagine that Joshua at this point in his life as an older man, maybe he's feeling a little bit tired about leading the people. Maybe he's feeling a little bit tired about all the fighting and all the battles and all this kind of stuff. And so God comes up to Joshua and God says the words first, you're old, man. And I imagine Joshua's thinking to himself, yeah, I am. I think it's about time for me to retire. I think it's about time for me to relax a little bit. And God says, hang on a second, there's a lot more work to be done. And this is the point where you might feel, man, I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I could keep pushing. But God does an amazing thing for Joshua. The rest of the chapters here, from 13 through 22, is not God giving Joshua another mission. It's God helping Joshua delegate the task to other people. You see, this is the summary of chapters 13 through 22. Write it down. I've got three little blanks I want you to fill in. Number one, God brought them to their promise. That's the stuff that we've seen so far. God brought them to their promise. That's the stuff we've seen so far. He walked them through the wilderness. He got them into the promised land. Then chapters 13 through 22 is Joshua personalizing the promise. Joshua personalized the promise. He says to each one of the tribes, this is your tribe and this is your land. God's promise is to bring us to this land and he has brought us this far. Now I'm personalizing it. And Joshua makes the decisions. God gives Joshua the the ability to make the decisions to delegate all of this land. And he does. But now we come to the third thing. The people have to claim their promise. One of the key things that goes on in these chapters is that Joshua gives them land that hasn't been taken yet. Remember, God just said in verse 1, he says, but there's a whole lot of land that hasn't been taken yet. And so now Joshua assigns all this land to the different people. And now it's their job to go and finish the job. But in order to finish the job, they have to claim the land that God has already given to them. This land is yours, but you got to take it. This land is yours, but you have to take it. This comes most clear in Caleb's life. Chapter 14, go with me to verse 8. Take a look at this. Why does it say verse 8? It shouldn't be verse 8. Should be verse 6. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions, but my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as inheritance. 
So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. Listen, Caleb comes to Joshua, and he says, hang on a second, Joshua, 45 years ago, Moses gave me a promise. The land that I walked on was going to be my land. For 45 years, Joshua, that land has been my land, but I haven't been in it. For 45 years, that land has belonged to me, but I haven't claimed it. For 45 years, I have been waiting for the moment when I could stand on my own land. Joshua, I'm an old man, but that won't stop me. Joshua, I'm an old man. That won't stop me. I love it. Caleb's 85 years old, and he says, I'm still as strong as I've ever been. No, you're not, but I'm glad you think so. I'm really, really motivated by the fact that you think you are. That just encourages my soul. I'm 85 years old, and I'm just as strong as I ever was. I'm old, but that's not going to stop me. The second thing he says to Joshua, I love this. He says, the obstacles are giant, literally, but that won't stop me. Caleb's the one who says to Joshua, Joshua, don't you remember the Anakites live there? But I don't care. With the Lord on my side, that's not going to stop me. Giants can't stop me, 85-year-old Caleb. I love this guy. And then, to top it all off, he's looking at Joshua. And he says to Joshua, these are, this is my paraphrase for what Caleb says to Joshua. He says, this land is mine. Don't stop me. I'm an old man. That won't stop me. My opponents are giant. That won't stop me. This land is mine, so don't you stop me. And Joshua, I just imagine, he's like, Caleb, dude, whatever, go. Take your land. And he gives him Hebron, one of the most important areas in the entirety of Israel. And we get this line at the very end. It's so important. I just want to put it on the screen to show you all over again. Hebron has belonged to Caleb since. It's belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenanazai, ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. And I love this line. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. The reason this city bears its name, its older name, the name it had before Caleb got involved, is that the greatest of all the giants used to be there. And Caleb shows up and the name changes. This is my land. Don't stand in my way. This is my land. Don't stand in my way. And then there's that line at the very end where it just says, then the land had peace from that day forward. Man, I, I really want to be a person in the spirit of Joshua. You know, I, I, I think it would be great to just delegate, to point out all the different areas and say, you take that area and you take that area and you take that area. But you know what I'd rather have? Being Joshua is fun and all, but I would rather all of us be Caleb. And we would say, hang on a second. It doesn't matter if my obstacles are giants. Hang on a second. It doesn't matter if I'm old or tired or anything. This, this land is mine. Nothing's going to stop me. The only question left for you and me is to decide 
where our land is, right? That's the only question left. What is the land God has given to us? What is the land God has promised to us? I'm asking you to think of that specifically, you yourself as an individual. I'm asking you to think about that as your family. And I'm asking for all of us together to think about that as a church. If we're together as a church, working together, what is the land that God has promised to us? What is the land that God is giving to us? What are the obstacles? Sure. Are we feeling old and tired? Sure, those are questions. But the better, bigger question is what land has been given to us that God might want us to step into? I'm going to end our time today with just flooding you with some New Testament promises. I'm just going to put a whole mess of them up on the screen. I'm just going to flood you with them because what I want you and me to do is to realize that God has given us some incredible promises, God has given us some incredible land, and the only thing left is for us to take it. The only thing left is for us to step into it, to claim it, and to say nothing's standing in my way, not giants, not anything else. Let's start with this one. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Two things are so important in this passage. Jesus, the person with all the authority in the universe, gives us a job. And when we do the job, he's with us. Jesus, the person with all the authority in the universe, says this process of making new disciples, this process of teaching and training other people, you do that, I'm with you. It's an amazing promise. Look at this next one. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Have you ever wanted God to be on your side, to take your side, to stand up for you? Guess what? He just told you he will. Whoever acknowledges me before this world, the people in this world, Jesus says, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to be your advocate, and all I need you to do is talk about me. You talk about me positively to others, and I will be your advocate. Let's go on to the next one. Jesus says to Peter, I tell you that you're Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus is giving to his followers this promise. To his followers this promise. He says, I am in charge of the church. I'm building it. And no one is going to stand in your way as you walk in it. No one can oppose you. Not even the gates of death, not even the gates of hell itself can stand against the onslaught of the church that is trying to save people from out of it. And Jesus says, guess what? You have the power to free people. And if you free people, they'll be free. Let's go on to the next promise. There's just more. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Jesus says, I'll make you a deal. You bear fruit. You act like my disciples and make more disciples. And I'll make you a deal. If you are trying to bear fruit, then ask me for anything. I'll do it for you. Jesus says, let's enter into an arrangement. You 
try to reproduce this life into other people, and I will do anything you want. Now, of course, what he means is you're going to ask him for all the resources necessary to do this work of bearing fruit and that God himself is going to be glorified as we do this. And so we ask God for amazing things and he says, hey, it's going to bear fruit for my kingdom. The answer to that one is yes. Take a look at this next verse. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. I love this. Jesus is basically saying, hang on a second here. Don't you realize you own the kingdom of heaven? Why in the world are you hanging on to this stuff? All these possessions that you have, all this, this whatnot, this stuff that you hang on to, that's not the kingdom of God. You've got the kingdom of God. Uh, let's, let me ask it to you this way. Let's just say someone walks up to you and they say, could I have your car? Let's just say someone does that. Now let's also say you are Jay Leno and you have 50 cars. And the one you're currently driving is your least favorite car. And someone says, could I have your car? Now, if you actually are Jay Leno, you would probably say no. But most of you people are nicer than he is. And so maybe if you actually knew you had 50 cars in the back, you would say, sure, take this one. I don't need 50 cars. Have this one. It's my least favorite anyway. Go ahead and drive it around. Listen, if you had infinite resources, why would you hold on to the one that you have? Jesus says, you've been given the kingdom. Keep going. This verse isn't over. Let's go to the next slide. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Jesus says, if you get rid of the stuff for the sake of my kingdom, you gain something eternal. We might be a little concerned about sending money away to another part of the world, but guess what? God's not worried. We can send money away to another part of the world because guess what? God might not replace the money, but he can definitely do even more in our midst through his kingdom resources than we can do with our minimal resources. So Jesus says, just put it all in the bucket. Just put it all in the bucket. Now, I'm not asking you to empty out your bank account and give it all to the church. However, if you did that, I probably wouldn't say no. But what I'm trying to get at is that the point isn't that you have to just get rid of all your money right now. The point is that you have to get rid of all your money to God right now and say, God, you own it all. You own everything. Every single thing that I have is up to you. It's, it, you can use it for whatever purpose you want. Just open my eyes. Show me my land and I'll put the money into it. Let's go to the next slide. We got one more. There it is. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all good godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Okay, let me ask you a question. How many people in Lafayette does God want to be saved? Yeah. How many people in Lafayette does God want to come to a knowledge of the truth? All. How many people are saved? How many people are in the knowledge of the truth? Not all. Listen, I want to let you know abundantly clearly here. Jesus has made us promises that if we're on his mission, he will give us everything we need right? 
Jesus has told us if we're on his mission, he will give us everything we need. All we have to do is ask the question, what is our land? What is our mission? Well, he says he wants all the people to come to knowledge of him. That's the mission. And if that's not clear enough, let's go to Hebrews chapter 13, 6. Take a look at what this says. We say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Here's the deal. If we are on the mission of God, he is on our side and he is providing all his resources. There's a blank that I skipped over, but I want you to fill in now. Jesus promises his presence and his provision for his work. All you need to do, all you need to do is be about Jesus's work, be with him, be on his mission. And guess what? His presence and all of his resources are available to us. Listen, I've shared over the past couple of weeks that our church is going through a little bit of a a lull, a little bit of a downturn. Attendance is a little lower uh, this year than it was last year. Finances are a little bit lower than they were this year than they were last year. And so we're struggling a little bit in some of the areas. But guess what? I'm not worried about that stuff. I'm not worried about the numbers because I know God can handle it. I'm not worried about the the people because I know if we continue to reach new people, God is going to bring them to us and he's going to bless us with that. I am not worried about the mission the mission is God's. The land is God's. I'm not worried about that for myself personally. I'm walking into it no matter what. I'm stepping into it no matter what. My only question is, are you going to be there with me? My only question is, are you going to join me in this mission? My only question is, have you crossed the line into I'm too old or I'm too tired or I'm too bored or something along those lines? Or if you're going to be one of those people like Caleb who says, no, the land is mine. Let me take it. I don't care about the giants. I don't care about the obstacles. We're there. Listen, no church gets the freedom to relax and rest because as God said to Joshua, There's a lot of land still to take. And as Caleb said to Joshua, it's mine. Don't get in my way. I want to encourage you to spend a few moments. Today we've given you connect cards. All the seats have connect cards. And I want to ask you to take that card, put your name on the front, and on the back side, what I want you to do is write down what God is saying into your heart right now. What is he whispering into your heart? Is he telling you that something needs to change in you? Is he telling you that something uh, is, is being unlocked in you? Is he giving you an awareness of your personal mission? Is he helping you to understand what our mission as a church together is going to be? What is he saying into your heart? What I want to do is I want to ask you to spend just a few moments in reflection. I'm going to say a prayer for us, a few moments in reflection, and then we're going to end with a final song. But I want to invite you to spend some time right now asking God, what does this mean for me today? And writing it down. On your way out, I'd love it if you would put it in the basket right by our door or slip it into the donation box back there. But let's just, let's just spend some time right now trying to listen to what God might have to say to us. And let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.